Romans chapter 6, please. Beginning to read at verse 1. Romans 6 and verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died. He died unto sin once. But in that he liveth. He liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. But alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lusts of the flesh. Let us pray. Keep your Bible open. Father, we pray you would now take your own divine and inspired word, scribe it upon every heart, imprint it into every mind, and glorify your Son, the Lord Jesus, in all that we do. And in all who we are, Father, may he have the preeminence in our lives. And may he alone be first before all others and before all things. To that end, Lord, we thank you for your spirit with us. We thank you for your presence. We ask you now, Lord, to help me, a man with frail clay lips, to be able to rightly divide this word of truth. We'll give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So before we start this this morning, I want you to know this is not written for one particular or two persons. It's not written for one person or just two persons or one family or one couple. It's written for all of us. So this this morning challenged me as I wrote it through the week, as I had written it, challenge me again. I always try to keep myself in check. I always do my utmost to walk according to the word to the best of my ability. I always try to keep myself according to what God's word says, but I'm a human and I feel like everyone else. So this this morning challenges, it challenged me first during the week And I trust it will challenge. If we go out of here not challenged by even something this morning, by even one thing this morning, then we need to re-examine 
where you are, where I am, where we are in this word. It's verse 3 that's the know ye not. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. So we, we are looking at know ye not. Now this is know ye not subtitled dead or alive. Dead or alive. I didn't realize, in fact, I forgot all about it, but I was told by a friend in the United States just last night, late last night, he sent me a little message. He says, do you know? He says, I, your part one is really your part two. That's last week's is really part one, but he says it's really part two. I says, and how do you work that out? He says, you've done one called Dead or Alive, a message for all, or, or something to that effect, as a subtitle. I don't even remember writing it, so I don't blame you if you don't remember hearing it. So we'll take it that this is part two now. It's completely different uh, than what the other one was. I looked it up to see if I could, in case I was doing a double take with you. Here we find in Romans 6 and verse 1, Paul asks us a question. Then he gives us the answer in verse 2. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? The idea to continue in sin is, should we, shall we live in an open course of habitual sinning, knowing it's wrong, and say, well, sure, we're under grace. That's what Paul's asking us. He's taking chapter 6 right out of chapter 5. After mentioning the fall and the death of Adam and us in Adam, look at chapter 5 and verse 21, please. He says, that as sin hath reigned unto death. Notice, Adam's sin brought our death, and it's reigned in mankind. Still to this day, sin has brought forth death, and we're all in our nature, totally depraved. The total depravity of human nature means one day, 100 out of 100 of us will die. Now we thank the Lord Jesus that he died, And he has risen again, so we can say, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? But notice this, what he says. He he says, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So that's the end of chapter 5. And the word reign there on both occasions in that verse are the word bastilio. Gives the idea of a bastion or a strength or, listen, a monarch, a king. Death reigned like a king over man, over Adam's race. And why? Because Adam sinned in the garden. Sin brought forth death. But he says grace will reign when we're in Christ. So now you and I are, yes, we have this deathly body. This lustful body, this desiring, fleshy, uh, carnal, human, we all are, every one of us. And we feel God in that sense, but yet the grace of God allows us to go on in God when we're in Christ. 
And so coming into chapter 6, he then says, but should we continue in sin? Shall we continue in sin that this grace may abound? In other words, should we live, listen, in an open course of sin, knowing that this sin, what we are doing, how we are acting, is wrong? Should we live like that? Can I ask you, brother or sister, where is the glory of your father in that? And he comes back in verse 2 with the answer, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? He's saying, God forbid that we should continually, habitually live in that sin. In other words, if you're a believer, we might fail and we may fall and we falter, every one of us do, but we, we want to improve ourselves, our walk with Christ, and live according as he would have us to live. Paul says, but for the walk in that, knowing that is wrong according to the word of God, he said, God forbid, uh, and one Greek text writer said it means, never let this be so said from your lips that we should do it. Never let it be so said, or if I could give you it, in the Ulster Scots, get away of that way. Something like that. Sorry, Ulster Scots speakers, wasn't probably right. So Paul is saying, no, we shouldn't. We should live right. So now when this is coming to me, know ye not that so many of us that were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. In other words, when... We know what's to do with water baptism, and there's other baptisms in the scriptures. We're going to briefly look at it. But the idea of this is, is when we get saved and we were put into Christ, placed into Christ by the Spirit, when we have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, when we came to Calvary and were born again, or born from above, and now in Christ Jesus, we died. We died. You died, Christian. I died. That Christ might live in us. So the subtitle of this is dead yet alive. You and I were dead in our trespasses and in our sins according to the Apostle Paul. So baptism means to plunge, to dip, to immerse when we baptize in water, we were in the sea a few weeks ago. They went under the water and up again. The water was a watery grave representing the grave. We're dead to the world. It's showing an inward work of the spirit in the life. When we rise up out of the waters, we're rising in the newness of life as it were. We are professing to the outside world and to all, and all who are around the sea, especially the church body that are there at the time, that we have died to self the watery grave has covered us and as Christ raised himself from the tomb and went out of the tomb that day, so when we come out of the water, we are new, living anew, showing this great witness, an, out, an outward witness of an inward work of the Spirit. We were dead in our trespasses and our sins. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, Paul says, And you hath he quickened. Speaking of the Spirit of God. 
quickened his words up. It means uh, to reanimate, to make alive. Adam was animated in the garden, walking with God, alive in fellowship with God. He was animated. God breathed into his nostrils. And man became a living nefesh, a living soul. Having fellowship with God in the Garden of Eden. And when that was broken through Adam's fall and through Adam's sinning, his sin became our sin. His fall was our fall. His death became our death. That was broken. And it's now the plan and purpose of God to bring redemption through the promised Messiah. Adam was animated. That was, he was alive. Alive to God. Alive to the things of God. Alive to the ways of God. And he could tell that this tree of the knowledge of, of good and evil here, we're not the eat of this, of all the other trees I can, but Adam chose to do that. Man died and lost choice. We were dead in our trespasses and in our sins. That is, we were alive as living people, but dead to God. And you hath he quick in Ephesians 2 verse 1, who were dead Necros is the word for dead. It means dead as dead as dead could be. Necros gives the idea of someone who has died, has expired, who lies there, and you speak to them, they don't speak back. Such were you and I before the Holy Spirit came and quickened us, reanimated us, made us alive unto God. Quickened us that we would behold the Lamb. That we would realize our sin, our sinful nature, our sinful ways. And he quickens us to behold the Lamb of God. That we start to understand the things of God. That we start to know our claims on Christ as our Redeemer. Our only way in fellowship and reconciliation back to God. And you have he quickened, reanimated from death unto life. Who were dead in your trespasses and in your sins. In other words, when we sinned, we didn't care about God. Didn't think about God. We weren't worried whether there was a God or not. But now in the regeneration and the quickening of the Holy Ghost, God shows us with the law written on our hearts. God shows us the way of life and the way of living and the way to walk and how to act and the things to do, and the things not to do, and where to go, and where not to go. And the places we have been, we don't go there anymore either. And God leads us in the path of righteousness, right living in fellowship and reconciliation with Him. And so Paul is writing this, since that's you, Christian, that He lives in you. Since that's you, Christian, here is the question then. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul retorts, God forbid. God forbid. Notice, we were dead in sins, but now we're dead to sin. The things I used to do, speaking of myself, 
places I used to go, the way I used to behave, even how I used to react, temperaments and stuff like that, all died when I entered into Christ, when he brought me into himself. All died. And because all of that died, I'm dead to the world. I'm dead to the things I did. I'm dead to the alcohol and to the drugs and to all those places that I, I even hate to mention it, but I miss it to try and help some people who maybe are the same way. I, those things are dead to me. They don't matter to me anymore. They don't call me. They don't tempt me and they don't draw me. Because I'm dead. Yet alive. I'm dead to self. And the old man keeps coming up, yes. And the old man keeps failing, but I crucify him afresh. Christ might live through me. We are no longer to live in sin or as sinners but you and I are sold out to be sold out servants notice what he says here know you not verse 3 know you not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. In newness of life. I find, brothers and sisters, that when we say this, that we think newness of life has to be that we're so airy-fairy. Let me put it that way. uh, That we're so snowflakey. Lovey-dovey. Hearts and flowers Christian. Listen, that's not what it means. Newness of life means be a man. Be a woman in Christ. Live for him as he lives through you. There's some baptisms here. We looked, water baptism is to immerse in water. Or to cover. Baptism means to cover or to immerse. And then there's another one when we look at the spirit baptism, the baptism of the spirit. And that's whenever someone is immersed or covered in the spirit. For example, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 5, it says, For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. But ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And we find that in Acts chapter 2, 120 are in the upper room, and there was that great wind that came that filled the place where they were all sitting, and there came cloven tongues. Notice, cloven tongues like as of fire, and set upon each one of them. They began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That baptism of fire, cloven tongues, is a dual ministry for the believers, kings and priests. Revelation chapter 1, unto him who hath loved us 
and washed us from our sins in his own blood and made us kings and priests unto our God. To him be glory and dominion and so on. So when we walk in newness of life, we're walking as kings and priests unto God. When we walk in newness of life, it, it lets others know that I am not ruled over by a life of sin and shame. That my past is gone. My sin has been washed away. The Spirit of God, He lives in me. And I now walk in the person and the power and in the presence of God Almighty. Kings and priests under God. The priest can pray and the king to rule over. Notice here, thirdly, the scriptures also speak of the baptism of suffering. Baptism of suffering. In Mark chapter 10, verses 38 and verse 39, it says, But Jesus saith unto them, Know ye not, notice, know ye not, there's another one, know ye not what ye ask. Ye know not, pardon me, what ye ask. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They're looking, they saying, well, we want to, James and John, we, we want, there was two brothers, one to sit in your left hand and one in your right. Who's going to have the greater place? Jesus. The mother's even interceding on their behalf. And Jesus says, can you be immersed with what I'm going to be immersed in? Listen to what they say in verse 9. They said unto him, we can. Oh, see when I read that, I read it again yesterday. I read it again last night. I read it again this morning. And I went, James, John, what are you saying? What on earth are you saying here? We can't. This is the Christ. The one who will be baptized with suffering. The suffering of us all. They said unto him, we can. And Jesus said unto them, ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism I am baptized with, with all ye shall be baptized. James ended up that he was murdered in Jerusalem with his head cut off. And John ended up, they tried to boil him in oil. Ended up in Patmos, a prison island, yet lived a long life. And brothers and sisters, when we think of this, we must be very, very careful. Must be careful what we ask, what we claim, what we pray for, how we think. For there's many of us think we want and think we can, but on our own flesh experience, we can't. So Romans 6 and verse 3 
is in continuations, in continuation then from verses 1 and 2 coming from chapter 5. Notice here verse 2, dead to sin. Verse 2 says dead to sin. Verse 3 says we're baptized into his death. Verse 4 says we're buried with him by baptism into his death. Verse 5 says, For we have been planted together in the likeness of his death. And verse 6 says, Know this, that our old man is crucified with him. Church, would you say old man? Would you say old woman? Old man is crucified. The old man, the old you, the old person, the old things, the old ways, the old lusts, the old, the old habits, the old attitude, the old mindset has died, crucified with Christ. Yet sometimes you wonder who's living, you or Jesus. You or him. Notice. Know this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. We should not serve it. It gives the idea of being a servant. The word servant in the New Testament and most times, uh, nearly all is a word, doulos. And it means a bond slave, a love slave. A bond slave or a love slave. So what they used to do was take a, a Hebrew slave, and after their, maybe they owed money to, the, to a master, and uh, or maybe they fell in hard times, and they were brought in and they worked as a slave. And once their years, their time was done to pay for their debt, they had nothing to go to, nowhere to go, starting all over again. And the the master was good to the slave, and what they did was they came to their master and says, I'll serve you because I love you. And so the master takes them by the ear, if you want, to the town hall. He takes them by the ear, and he gets an awl, a, a large nail, gets the earlobe, And he nails them to the doorpost through the ear. And this was a mark that was left on him that he was owned by someone. So when the nail come out, there's this big mark where this nail had where, pardon me, the nail come out, there's a a large hole which would cover over and, and Anyone who's seen it, you know, he's paid his debt and he's owned by someone, but he's owned because of love. He comes to his master and he says, I love you. I want to serve you. I I, I love being with you. I love being your servant or your slave. Will you take me in? And that's the term Paul uses when he calls himself a servant of Jesus Christ. He says, I'm his love slave. I serve him because I love him. 
And so the servants through the scripture is that which you love is that which owns you. Is that which owns you. Notice here, if we go back to verse 4, where that was all about the death, the old man and who we were, the old woman, now we have alive, dead yet living. Verse 4, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Verse 4 tells us the glory of the Father in us is what raises us in the same spirit. The glory of the Father raised Jesus from the dead, so he lives in you. And then in verse 5 he says, For we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Notice verse 5, newness of life. Verse, pardon me, verse 4, newness of life. Verse 5, likeness of resurrection. There's going to come a time when those believing love slaves, the servants of Jesus Christ, who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's going to come a time whether we die and go to the grave or whether we are alive and remain, we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at Christ's return. No more to be tempted by the old man, by the old woman. Let me put it like this. When we got saved, church, Believer, when we got saved, we were free from the penalty of sin. Jesus paid our debt. You're free from the penalty of sin. Now as we walk in this newness of life, we are free from the power of sin. Free from the power. Free from the penalty when we get saved. Free from the power in this life. So we should overcome that and walk in a righteous walk. And when Christ returns, we shall be free from the presence of sin. Because he gives us a new body. See, every morning when you get up, and you go up and you look in the mirror, your hair's all over the place, you have a bad head on. If you have hair, it's all over the place. You have one eye hanging about here somewhere. As soon as you look in the mirror, you look and you see, that's your competition. It's not the devil. The devil's defeated. It's not the world. The world doth not hold us in sin any longer. Your competition's yourself. That's your competition, yourself. The old man, the old woman, the old flesh. Notice here, so he raises the dead to life. We were dead in trespasses and sins, and he raises the life that they might die to self, to sin, and to Satan, to live in newness of life until they are made in the likeness of Christ. Now, open Romans 6 here. Keep it open to show you this. 
Romans 6 and 3 says, Know ye not. Romans chapter 6 and verse 6. Then it says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. Then Romans chapter 6 and verse 9. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. And then in Romans chapter 6 and verse 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Notice here it goes, know ye not, know this, know that, know ye not. In chapter 6. Paul, if you remember, said in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, listen, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Strange Glenn reading from Romans 5. When we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. I was driving the car yesterday, going to pick Ali up in Bonbridge. I'd just been reading some things and thought, Lord, thank you. Thank you, Father, for loving me. You sent your Son. Christ died for the ungodly. I was ungodly, and he loved me even in my state, in my shame. Oh, I didn't know it was shameful, and I didn't know it was even sinning. I was just living the dead life of the world. And to think that in all of it, he loved me. Church, would you say, he loves me and gave himself for me. Christ Gave himself for you. That's the only measure. That's the only cannon. That's the only yardstick, as it were. We get the idea of a cannon as something that fires a cannonball. A cannon is a measuring rod. That's where it comes from. It was a measuring rod in the Scriptures. And the measuring rod of the canon of Scripture, uh, that tells me who I was, how lost I was, but how Christ died for me. He loved me and gave himself for me. 
I ask you a question. Don't need you to answer or stick up hands just for yourself. If the word speaks to you today, will you crucify the old man afresh where it needs crucified? Will you crucify that old woman? When I was writing this, I was saying, I was saying things, yep, I need to do this. I need to change what's in me. I need to change where you tell me, Lord. I need to die. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. I'm dead, yet I'm alive. I live. Notice here in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Praise the Lord for that. Isn't that great? Praise the Lord that all my sins are passed away. My past is forgiven and forgotten, covered in the red. That is the red, the blood of Christ. All things have passed away. Now notice, behold, now look ye here, it means, all things have become new. A man or a woman who profess Christ but show no change of life never knew Christ. Well, there's genuine people who loved him and have fallen away. I believe so. Absolutely. Has to be a change of life. Change of heart. For example, Puritan Samuel Rutherford said, they lose nothing who gain Christ. The man and the woman, you and I, when we gained Christ at our salvation, some people think, oh, if they give this up and I give that up and I can't do this and I can't do the other and I can't go here and I can't go there. Listen, if that's your heart's desire, then go do your heart's desire. But that means Christ isn't your heart's desire. You know what my heart's desire is? Do you want me to tell you? It's from, in fact, it's well explained by Samuel Rutherford again. You ready? For since he hath looked upon me, my heart is not mine own. For he hath run away to heaven with it. My heart lies in heaven because my Savior's in heaven. What has your heart's desire over Christ? In Romans 6, verse 16, he says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves as servants to obey? Notice. To whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey. You want to underline that because that's important. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are, to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Sin unto death 
obedience unto righteousness. The word yield here, parestame. It means, it's taken from two words. One is para, as in the Holy Spirit is the paraclete. One called alongside. A parable is a story is, uh, with a heavenly meaning, in other words, or, or, or a scriptural basis, but it's a story thrown alongside of what you can make the comparison with. Para. That's what it means in the Greek text. And this word, paristome, for yield, it means to, to throw down alongside of or to come alongside of. And histome, paristome, for the second part of the word means to take a stand. So it gives an idea like this. I'm with you, Billy. It's the idea of it. And where you go, I go. I'll do what you bid. So in this text, it gives that idea. And what Paul is saying here is that the one you come along, the thing you come alongside to, and take your stand. That's the idea of it. That's yield. That's what it means. To come alongside, you're walking beside it, and then you're, I'm with you. Where you go, I go. When you start, I start. When you stop, I stop. You master me. It's the idea of this. So when Paul is writing, know ye not. Do you not know that to whom ye yield yourselves, servants to obey... His servants, ye are to whom you obey. Now, what did I say the word servant was? Doulos. What was doulos? The man who had the ear. He was marked by the ear. By the all driven through the ear. In other words, he has a master. And he, he's with his master now. He's free, but he loves him. And the master... Because he loves the master so much, he does the master's bidding, he lives in the master's place, and the master lords over him. And he just loves him. Now, Paul says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey? Getting the idea? Solemn, isn't it? Isn't it solemn? Listen, I'm not condemning anyone here. This was to me first. Okay? But I can tell you, it rejoiced my heart. Who do you yield? Whom or what vice or thing has come alongside or you have come alongside off and stopped in it and you said I obey you because I love you so much I can't help giving the drink up since I get saved brother listen sister listen if Christ is in you you have the power to give the drink up
I can't stop acting like this. I can't stop chasing women all the time because after all, I'm just a man. You let the old man die then. And let God bring you the wife. Oh. To whom you love, what you love will be your master. What you love is mastering you, not you mastering it. Listen, there's not one alcoholic who goes out at his first drink when he's in a teenager or whenever it was and takes one drink and says, you know what, I'll only try it once. He didn't set out to be an alcoholic. They don't set out to be drug addicts. They don't set out to have a life of rack and ruin. Nobody does that. Even marriage breakup, nobody does that. They don't get married thinking that my marriage is going to turn into a whole mess here and I'm looking forward to it. It doesn't happen. We set out with good intentions, but things and circumstances master us. But now, we can put it right. Now we can put it right. Notice here, it masters you, or you're yielding yourself, the whether sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. Let me give you an example of this word to yield. The Lord Jesus in the garden says to Peter, remember he goes to cut the servant of the high priest's ear off, he says to Peter, And he stops him from going any further. Matthew 26, verse 53. Listen to what he says. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? It's great, isn't it? Jesus could have called 10,000 angels a song. That's lovely, but that's not right. There'd been about 72,000 angels if Jesus had to call them more like. But the term, thinking not now that I could pray to my Father, he will presently now, is the word yield. It's the same word for yield. Parties to me. That right now, angels, 12 legions of them, would come alongside me and take their stand with me. That's what that means. Yet he didn't do it. You know why? Because he was thinking of me. He was thinking of you. You, you, the whole lot of us. Because if he hadn't have went to the cross, we'd all been lost. So, Romans 6 and 19, I'm coming to a close. As you have yielded your members, servants, to uncleanness and to iniquity, unto iniquity. Notice, iniquity Unto iniquity. Even so, now yield your members' servants to righteousness unto holiness. Notice, it's either sin, iniquity, unto iniquity. Getting deeper. Or else, it's yield yourself servants to righteousness unto holiness. Uh, the, the, un, the uncleanness mentioned in Romans 6 and 19 
It can mean physical or moral uncleanness. But the word iniquity, it's a word called anomia. So, there's a, there's a preaching of no law gospel at the moment. Well, it's been gone for a while, but at the moment there's a preaching of no law gospel. And it's called antinomianism. That's the big word for it. No law. But listen, brother, listen, sister. Jesus didn't do away with the law. He fulfilled it. And in fact, when he talks about it, he amplifies the law. You know what he says? He says, I shall not kill. Which one of you have hated your brother in your heart? He says, and you've committed murder. He amplified it. Do you know what Jesus was saying? You're worse than you ever thought you were. Me too. You're even worse than you think. But when we think of it like this, then how great is our redemption? How great is the salvation that Jesus brings? How blessed are we? How rich are we in Christ? Because we're even worse than we thought. Anomia here is iniquity. That means the condition of being without the law of God. It means to violate the law, transgress the law, be ignorant of the law, and to be in contempt of the law, leading to further unrighteousness and wickedness and iniquity. In other words, we get worse as we go on. I know a man. Pardon me, I knew a man. And... This man was in, as a youth, right through, in a church brought up, saved young, brought up in church, played in the worship band, knew the scriptures, went to a, a friend's house, and his friend brought him into his garage, and round the garage were flagons of wine, homemade. Flagons of homemade wine. The guy brings down his latest concoction. This is a true story. And he pours it out a glass. He pours out another glass and he says, here, drink. He says, I've never touched a drink in my life. Never touched a drop. I'll do you no harm. Take one. Go on, take one. And after some coercing, this man took one glass. And he liked it. The next time he took another until he started going to buy some himself. The man became a chronic alcoholic. Chronic alcoholic. And we tried to get him places to live and houses to try and get him dried out and to to pray with him. And I says, you know, you're able to do this. Christ is in you. He hasn't left you nor forsaken you. Come on now, you can do this. And he started going to church, but he kept falling away. Couldn't get the old man crucified. One day he got a new flat, new apartment. We got a phone call. I'm not mentioning his name. Got a phone call that such and such 
was drunk again and was at the top of his steps of his flat and fell down the stairs. But by the time we had heard and we got over, we had found out he had broken his neck and died. Just once. Just once. Without the law means that the law is not written in our hearts. And in Christ, we are free from the curse of the law. The word righteousness here means to be in the state of him who is as he ought to be. I'm not perfect, far from it. I fail all the time. As I said, this is to me first. But I can tell you in Christ, when the Father sees me, he sees me righteous. Sees you righteous. But continuing in sin that grace may abound is something we should never do. Righteousness is the condition acceptable to God. It manifests in showing integrity in the life of the Christian, purity of the life of the Christian, correctness of thinking, feeling, and acting as a Christian. And holiness, righteousness unto holiness is being consecrated unto him. Brothers and sisters, I leave you with this thought. Poet and author unknown said this do this and live the law commands but gives me neither feet nor hands a better word the gospel brings it bids me fly and gives me wings the law says and we need it you're lost The law says to the unsaved, here's who you are. It helps you. The law doesn't save you yet. It shows you your sin. But the gospel is the good news of Christ. And it bids you to fly to Calvary. And gives you wings to be able to continue to do so in your walk with him. Very quiet, isn't it? Every time, nice to hear our pastor preaching. And he preached hard. This is me being hard. This is me just trying to help. And he preached hard. I used to get convicted. I used to feel it. I used to feel it. As soon as I left the church, I'd have been away somewhere to seek the face of God. I'd have been away to say, Lord, I want to get things right. Maybe you're not right with God at all. 
day if you hear his voice. Harden not your heart. May God bless his word to us. For Jesus' name's sake and glory. Amen.